Welcome to the Stereoactive Movie Club. My name is Jeremiah, and I'm here with Alicia, Laura, Mia, and Steven. And we're going to be talking about the 1948 film, Bicycle Thieves, directed by Vittorio De Sica. But first, let's introduce ourselves. Alicia, what have you watched since the last time we recorded? Um, I watched the movie Midsommar, um, which I had not seen before, and which... um, yeah, it was pretty intense, and uh, <laughs> I liked it. I mean, I like, you know, horror, but and this is kind of different for a horror film that you kind of already know what's probably going to happen from the beginning of the movie. But, um, but yeah, it was pretty, it was still pretty dark and an intense, like, experience to watch. Um, and I didn't really watch any other movies this week. I watched a thing on Netflix called The Serpent about a guy that killed a bunch of people on the hippie trail in like the 70s in Asia, um, which was which was good. I mean, it's a true story. Um, and that's that's what I watched this week. Okay. And Laura, how about you? I watched Beverly Hills Cop. And then right after it, I watched Beverly Hills Cop 2. And it was fun to cross compare. I actually really enjoy both films. Um, the first one, is pretty hard to mess with. But the, the second one has quite a lot of good writing, I think, and, and some, some really interesting stuff. There's also so much that would never fly now that it was just each scene, it was fun to be like, nope, that would never get made. You know, like for instance, in the second one, uh, Eddie Murphy kept referring to Brigitte Nielsen as that big bitch. <laughs> like over and over again. I mean, and that was one of the lesser things, but it was just, yep, nope, not going to happen. And I also stand by this, even though people don't agree with me, a young Paul Reiser in Beverly Hills Cop 2 really reminds me um, of Bradley Cooper. I think that they have similarities. Um, So, Laura, I actually had a question about um, that. Because not about the Bradley Cooper thing. No, really. But about okay. Because I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> the Beverly Hills Top One and Two, since he became like a huge star after the first one, did you notice a difference in the second one? If he was like more confident or he got more lines or it was just it's, like, you could definitely tell like he was the star of that movie. That's the biggest problem with the second one is that he wasn't reeled in. Um, he just, it was all of the shtick. Like he's, he's Eddie Murphy. He's comic god, but it was too much and the weakest parts of that movie were him just going off, you know. Mia. So I continued Sex in the City, um, of course. And then I also watched Cuauhtados uh, Aida, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, which is really good. It was nominated for Best International Film at the Academy Awards, and it's excellent. It's really, really sad, um, but fit in. It was my answer to our question for later, so I'm not going to spoil that now, but uh, just really good. If you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. And then spoiler for what Jeremiah is going to talk about, but we went to a freaking movie theater for the first time in 12, 13 months, something like that, and saw wow. Scott Pilgrim versus the world. So sorry, Laura, but <laughs> <laughs> right. that was fun. Yeah. I'd never seen it on the big screen before. And so that was just like that much more of a crazy, intense experience seeing it. And it was just so nice. I got like when the lights dimmed and stuff, I got like teared up because I was just like, oh my God, this is, <laughs> and like the bathroom was 
disgusting. And I was like, oh, wow, it's just the same. Nothing has changed in 14 months. And there's no soap in the bathroom and there's toilet paper on the floor. And like, it was wow. just great. I know. I was surprised. But... It's from 13 months ago. <laughs> I know. It's just the way they left it when everybody yeah. on, That's kind of how it felt. Like, other than wearing a mask, it was just this really weird, like, oh, it's the same despite all of us feeling so different. Um, it was also the mall on a Friday night. So there was like teenagers mm. and stuff. So it was just really, really nice to do something so normal after so long. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I was uh, delegated to speak more about this one. I just <laughs> figured you would. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you do love this movie. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I also saw Quo Vadis Aida um, and, of course, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Yeah, it was really nice to go to a movie <laughs> for the first time in 13 months because it's like one of my favorite things to do. And uh, I definitely missed it. It was great to do it. It was, uh, we, we saw it in. Dolby Cinema at AMC, so it was like gorgeous picture. The sound was like shaking everything. Awesome, um, like sex bomb bomb. Was yeah, like... yeah, sex bomb. Yeah, yeah, and bomb. That's how you say it. Can I pause for a sec? I was just going to say, so just for the record, too, we both are fully vaccinated. My mom listens to this, so I'll say the spacing was good. We wore masks the whole time. We were very careful, so don't worry, mom. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that we we are vaccinated. We don't endorse going to the movies unless you're being safe as you can be, which we would say means being vaccinated. But also, I just want to say AMC, like say what you will about big movie chains or whatever. But it was about as safe an experience as you could have under the circumstances. You know, they blocked off seats so that you weren't close to anybody else and that sort of thing. So I felt comfortable there even after being vaccinated and all that. Um yeah, I also saw California Split by Robert Altman, um, which is a great scumbum movie. Yeah, there's. What does that mean? Yeah, I was wondering that too. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I don't know that expression. Uh, they're they're just like scummy people that you're just like to watch them do scummy shit. Uh, they're oh. they're like playing cards and like gambling, and they're just like living like kind of a scummy life. But it's like, but but like <laughs> not scummy in a bad way. Just sort of like they're they're dirty and whatever. I got it. Yeah. It's, I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. Um, and uh, but it's a fun movie. I hadn't seen that one. It's an Altman movie I, I had not seen yet. So, um, and Stephen, how about you? Um, I saw the remake of, or I guess it's the continuation of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> the twenty twenty version. Oh. Um, and it was fine. It felt like more of a setup movie. Like the big stuff didn't happen. This movie, they were just trying to set it up, which was kind of strange because the characters were like kind of paperboard or cardboard kind of characters, but it was entertaining enough for an hour and a half or two hours or how long it was. And I also saw um, the new Invisible Man, I guess the one that came out in 2020 with Elizabeth Moss. And it was amazing. It was very, so very good. good. Yeah. yeah, I was I was pleasantly surprised. And I've seen her in just a few things, but she really carried that movie. She was so good and she was so believable that it kind of carried it through. And I forgot about the plot holes. Just the way that it was shot too is very atmospheric mm -hmm. and you just felt tense watching it. So I really recommend it if anybody hasn't seen it. It's very good. That Will you come over when I can, and I'll watch it with you there? I just, yeah. it's one of those movies I don't want to watch alone. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, full disclosure, I've also been her. fully vaccinated. So. <laughs> 
I think we all have. We all have, right? We've all been vaccinated. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'll do it. We're a fully vaccinated podcast. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. so come on over. Um. Steven, that was the last movie I saw in theaters. I've been really wanting to rewatch it. So I'm glad that you saw it, Steven. But I think both of you had talked about how much you liked it and I just never got around to it. So I just said, you know what? I'm just gonna watch this on Friday night while I'm recovering from my second COVID shot. Yeah. <laughs> Solid. Um, so for those who may not have listened to the show before, this is a podcast where the five of us are discussing movies that have appeared on Sight and Sound Magazine's poll of the greatest movies ever made that comes out every 10 years. The next poll will be out in 2022. So we're basically using that as our prompt to watch some classic movies ahead of it. We invite listeners to take part in the discussions by watching along and sharing their opinions in our Facebook group by emailing or by leaving a voice message on our anchor.fm show page. And again, this time we're talking about Bicycle Thieves. But before we get into the history and background of the movie, what did each of us know about the movie going into this viewing? Who's seen it before? Or what were you expecting, if anything? And Laura, since you picked this one, why don't you start us off and also tell us why you picked it? Well, I had heard the title for years. I knew it was lauded. I knew it was part of the neorealist movement Um in an abstract way, not knowing what that really meant. And I knew I just never got around to see it. And I really wanted to watch an Italian film for my pick this time. So not much. All good. The poster was cool. Yeah. Um, and Alicia. Um, so I have seen this movie before, um, but it has been, it's been probably at least 15 years since I watched it. So I didn't remember it that well. I just remembered that somebody had to steal a bicycle for some reason <laughs> that was about all I remembered and that there was like a child running around but um but so that's how I came into it with with uh not a lot of I also knew it was a neorealist and the actors are um not professional actors and that kind of thing so I knew that but I'd forgotten like what was what went on in the film itself mm-hmm. and Mia I'd heard of it but I did not know anything about it so I was going into this very very cold and steven um i had also heard of it but i thought it was called the bicycle thief so i was thinking maybe this was a sequel when i first saw it i was like was there two of these and i didn't realize and then i realized oh they did change the name um or they didn't change the name but that was the original title um and i'd heard that it was a classic and then i'd I'd heard that it was like one of the most amazing movies ever made so i was a little intimidated to watch it so i just kind of put off seeing it um, so that's all I knew. It had a really great reputation as being one of the best movies ever made. So um, that's all I know about it. Right. Yeah. For the title, my understanding is that the actual title is Bicycle Thieves. It was a uh, mistranslation mm-hmm. when it came to uh, English speaking audiences. Of They didn't realize that that was plural or something. And then they added an article in front of it. But it's supposed to be Bicycle Thieves. Um, and I saw it, I think in high school when I was first starting to get into movies and I just get every VHS of a classic film I could find at the library or at like Hollywood video or whatever. I don't think I've seen it all the way through in one sitting since then, but I definitely saw plenty of clips and scenes from it in school um, in like film classes and all, because it's definitely one of those go-to movies that they use as examples of so many things. So as I mentioned in previous episodes, when I was first seriously getting into movies, I got this book called The Ultimate Encyclopedia of the Movies. 
And it's the way I first found out about a lot of movies. So I'd like to read the entry for Bicycle Thieves. And to be clear, the more subjective parts, if there are any, aren't for me. And maybe we'll want to discuss those points as we get into our group discussion in a little bit. A deceptively simple story about Antonio, a long unemployed man struggling to keep his family alive, whose happiness at finding a job gives way to despair when his precious bicycle, on which the job depends, is stolen. He and his young son Bruno tramp the streets of Rome looking for the thief. De Sica's neorealistic treatment combined with Cesar Zavattini's script give the story the true resonance of tragedy. Bicycle Thieves' richness lies in the telling detail it gives of the lives of its characters and of post-war Rome itself. The hungry crowd of men competing for work outside the unemployment office, the pawn shop where the wife pawns her sheets to raise money for her husband to redeem his bicycle, the streets, the flea markets, and the poverty-stricken, overcrowded tenements where Antonio and the child desperately search for the stolen bicycle, and the restaurant where a wealthy family stuffed themselves while father and son share a simple meal at a nearby table. All the while we see in their faces the looming specter of no work, no money, no food if the bicycle is not found. All the performers, including Majorani as Antonio and Stiola, heart-rending as a little boy, are non-professional, and the whole film is seared through with a sense of honesty, supported by the documentary-style truth of the black-and-white camera work, which induces pity and anger for the character's plight. The film won a special Oscar in 1949 for Best Foreign Film. So the movie was released in Italy in November of 1948 and opened in the United States in December of the following year. And Bicycle Thieves, along with other films by De Sica, is considered among the most emblematic examples of the Italian neorealist movement filmmaking that rose in the years after World War II. As part of that movement, it was greeted with what I would sum up as somewhat mixed to positive reviews in Italy, with critics comparing it to other works of the movement and measuring it up to certain principles established therein. The reception outside of Italy, especially in France and the United States, was largely laudatory as the film and movement it was a part of were praised as groundbreaking and important. As the film played around the world in the late 40s and early 50s, it earned several awards here in the United States and not only won an honorary Academy Award as most outstanding foreign language film, but was also nominated for a Best Screenplay Award. That same year, the Best Picture Oscar winner was All the King's Men, the top movies at the U.S. box office in 1950, the year most people here would have had any chance to see Bicycle Thieves, were all pretty clearly the kinds of films that Bicycle Thieves stood in stark contrast to. Samson and Delilah, King Solomon's Mines, Annie Get Your Gun, Cheaper by the Dozen, Cinderella, so on and so on. As far as what we're doing on this podcast, Bicycle Thieves holds perhaps a particularly important place as it was voted the number one greatest film of all time in the very first critics poll Sight and Sound did back in 1952. Since then, it's placed number seven in 1962 and as a runner-up in 1992. It was also on the director's poll at number six in 2002 and number 10 in 2012. So, Laura, since this was your pick, why don't you start us off with your thoughts on the film? Did it live up to your expectations or memories? I thought it was mildly devastating. Um, very beautifully shot. Um, it was just really, you know, an impressive film. Uh, yes, it lived up and surpassed all of my expectations. I think that what I keep thinking about over and over again with the film is how the adults 
were like children and the children were the adults and how upsetting that was. Um, it's, it's just something that keeps playing in my head over and over again. Um, the light of the film, just the way it was shot in these industrial locations, it's sparse and beautiful shots was really interesting to me. The way that I found not similar to Kurosawa, but is it, it is impressive as that. Whereas in the general, I just thought every frame looked extremely washed out and uncomfortable to look at. So I was just really taken with the beauty of the film on all levels. Um, so yeah, that's what I thought. Great. And Mia. Yeah, I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was really beautiful. I thought the acting was so good. It reminded me a lot of Tokyo Story, where I didn't feel like I was watching a movie per se. I mean, this one is obviously a shorter time frame than Tokyo Story, so the action is a bit more compressed. It's not as like slow building. Um but it just reminded me so much of that and just kind of feeling like you're plopped down in the middle of these people's lives. And like, I was really instantly invested in the story, like within the first five minutes of him getting the job and, oh wait, he doesn't have the bicycle and dealing with the sheets and all of that. I was just like, oh my God. And then I was super tense trying to figure out when the bike was going to get stolen. <laughs> I was really anxious that one time he asked the kid to watch it. I was like, oh no, don't do it. Don't do it. And then he comes out. So I like that they had that like false, almost thiefing there. Um, yeah, I just thought it was so great. It reminded me a lot of um, the Neapolitan novels, if anyone has read those or if anyone watched the HBO series, um, which is set in Naples post-war and but is also like deals a lot with just like poverty, more violence in that than there is in this, um, but is these two girls growing up and their friendship through that, but just a lot of the images I had built in my head of like what their lives were like really matched with what bicycle thieves looked like. So yeah, but yeah, I just thought it was amazing. Yeah. It also reminded me of Tokyo story since we watched that one recently. And not only in terms of the fact that both of them are sort of like against the grain of what a Hollywood type of film would be, or some sort of mass produced entertainment whether it's like the Italian studio system or any other, but um, also in the fact that like, I, I find it to be a movie that slowly gets its hooks into me. There are points maybe in the first half or even two thirds of the film where I'm like, I know this is only an hour and a half, but it seems a little long right now in this moment. Like what's, you know, and, but then by the end, I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I even thought that cause I'm so invested in this. And it's sort of like a, a, a slow burn and sort of like in the background or something. It definitely lived up to my memory of it, um, which was pretty vague at this point. It had been so long. And yeah, it's just a very impressive film. And I, I like how it does so much with so little. And I, I, I think that um, the ultimate encyclopedia entry on it starts off saying something about like it, it's deceptively simple, and I think that's very true. Um, it's, it's, it seems like such a straightforward, simple movie, but emotionally, it's so much more complex than what the plot is. And I think so much of that comes from the realism, and the very natural performances. Um, Alicia, how about you? Yeah, I, I feel like I have so many 
so much to say and <laughs> like so many thoughts about this movie like it it really like rang a lot of bells in my head um but yeah as far as like my expectations since I didn't remember it that well it, it yeah it went beyond what my expectations were and um yeah I, I thought it was just it's magnificent like it's great it's it's devastating and it's frustrating and it's beautiful and like everything that everyone already said it's it's all this very and I agree with you like there's so much going on it is like such a simple story but there's like there's so much going on there about emotionally but also about like Italy and uh, the post-war era like poverty and institutions and yeah, a lot. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was great. And Steven? I really enjoyed it. I, I loved it. Um, I think all of you know that I spent my junior year in college in Italy, and it just brought back a lot of memories. I know that this took place in the 40s, but just the the characters themselves and the atmosphere of everywhere they went, it just really stuck out to me, even if it was in black and white. Um, just because the characterizations of just the people on the sidewalk or the people that you'd meet. And it wasn't the the Rome that you would see when you were visiting it, if you were just there for a week, just visiting and being a tourist. It was like you you saw the real places where people would eat or you'd, you know, you go to the markets and, and every character and every person that was there just felt real. And I think that that was part of, you know, the, the neorealism moment because all the people were not actors, but they were people. So it just really stuck out to me whenever they said something or they had a reaction, it felt really, it didn't feel forced at all. There wasn't a forced note in this entire movie, which I really appreciated. And I loved how simple the story was because it was so relatable and you just felt for him every single time, the the main character and, and even the son and how they were next to each other. Um, so I just really got a lot out of it. I actually watched it twice and the second time my Italian started coming back. So it was really kind of interesting <laughs> to watch something and get more nuances of what they were saying and how they were saying it. Uh, and it just felt much more authentic to me. And Laura, you had a question for us, I think, that you wanted to pose. Someone that we um, comments on a lot of our posts talks about the manipulation and the manipulative aspects of the end of the film. And... I guess I wanted to know what everyone would do in that scenario, what decision you would make, even obviously we know the outcome of how it goes down in this film, but Mm -hmm. I I just kept thinking I would have done it this way. (laughs) Why did he do that? And, you know, I just wanted to hear what everyone thought. That's a tough question because obviously I've never been in such dire straits, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've never I've never gotten to the point where I felt like I might need to steal something. Um, but I don't know that I would do anything differently than what the character, than what he did, because even if you're just talking about it from like a, should he have taken that bike or should he have tried to take one of the other bicycles in the more crowded area? He kind of like hesitated a little too long to be able to grab one of those bicycles. And, and I can understand why he went with the other one. Like it, that, that made sense to me. So I didn't feel like it was like super manipulative. I mean, it is, it is going to be manipulative because it's trying to get you to see a certain aspect of life. So I feel like that's kind of built in, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I would have done anything differently than what he, what he did. I don't know anybody else. Yeah, I guess I agree with you. I, I wasn't sure where I was going to come down on this question, but I, I think you explained it well. It's, I think they depict how he gets there so well that I can imagine myself in 
that circumstance doing the same thing. Like I couldn't imagine it necessarily going a different way. I don't think it matters necessarily that he does attempt to steal a bike. It's that he's at the point where he could even consider that. It, that's really what the point is. Before the the final point, I think of just his utter shame in front of his child. Um, but I find it interesting too that like while reading about the film and watching some uh, of the bonus features they have on Criterion. Um, I guess that wasn't the ending that was that DeSica wanted. He wanted him to not get away. Like he was going to, I guess, go to jail or something. And I mm-hmm. think that that would have kind of, I, I, I'm glad they didn't do that. I, I think yeah. that would have been terrible. But at the time yeah. the movie was criticized for being too sentimental. And it was, I think largely because of the ending that they had where he gets away with it. And what, but I would argue again that I don't think he does get away with it. Like he does legally, but he he's going to just be different in his son's eyes forever. forever at this point. But I also think that there's a moment of growth for a son where he's like, I can't believe that my dad had to do this. I don't think it's just about him being ashamed of his dad. I think he feels ashamed because he did this in front of his son. But I think the son is kind of, I, I interpreted it as he's starting to understand the depths that his father had to go to to you know provide i would i would have to say that i disagree with that and that for the film to me was this the, the image of the father was unraveling throughout the entire film for the mm-hmm. son sure and that every step that he made was the wrong one um and the the immature decision the it, the bad decision alicia talked about the hesitation um hitting the kid, you know, for me, the son was just so much more solid and, um, adult-like and, and then, and he was just this tiny little boy, but he had to have, you know, and I, I suppose that's the part of the, the post-war, the kids have to, had to just grow up super fast mm-hmm. and they did. And, and I just don't, it was, it may have been this big end and the kid, I don't think that, the kid understood why the father did that. I think the kid just thought, if you're going to do it, why did you hesitate? So, you know, just mm-hmm. do it smarter. Just don't look what you did. Like we could have just been home all day, you know, saving the money that you spent. I don't know. That's sort of where I went with it. Right. I understand what you're saying, but I think the moment where they're holding hands, I, like I thought that that was supposed to be the son sort of being like, I haven't been, really understanding why you've been dealing with this and the way you've been dealing with it all day. And then I thought there was like a moment of recognition there at the end where he seems to kind of be more, I don't know if it's forgiving or understanding or both of those or something else, but there seems to be like a little bit of a shift, I thought, on the son's part. But I I think what you're saying is totally true, that that's his attitude towards, towards his father, up until then. I think that handholding was the ax- the pinnacle of just knowing that his father is a very flawed man and mm-hmm. he loved it and he's his and he's so glad he didn't go to jail. But, you know, he really screwed up. Every, everything he did today was just, he was just such a, such, he just failed him. I saw that scene and took it in a different way. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I kind of agree with both of you. <laughs> I think the more interesting thing to me, I mean, I think it's ambivalent for me, like it could have gone either way. I could see the son understanding because he is presented throughout the movie as pretty much the only adult in the room in a lot of <laughs> cases, except for the, you know, the wife. Um, but of course, I think we're shown throughout that the father continuously fails him. Like when they go to the market and the, and he's kind of wandering around on his own and the like sex pest kind of yep. guy is like sex bothering him. Sex pest. <laughs> I love that. What a term. Oh my God. Um, and then, and then what, what happens? He, there's a time when he like trips and almost falls and the father doesn't mm. notice. He does there's fall. Time, right. Yeah. Maybe he yeah. does fall. Yeah. He's like, then, what happened to you? He's like, I fell. Yeah, dad. That's right. That's right. And then mm. he, um, he, he kind of wanders, he lets him wander off or he sends him off. And then he, he thinks for a minute that he's drowned yeah. because mm -hmm. there's like a drowning happening. And he's like, Oh my God, like he's being just as careless with the sun as he, not, not that he was particularly careless, but he was a little careless with the bicycle too. And he's being just yep. as careless with the sun. So I do feel like the sun definitely probably has some kind of different understanding of his father by the end of the movie, whether it's like disappointment or sympathy or some kind of weird like combination of both of those things. Uh, you know, yeah. I definitely think it's a story that has that in it. Yeah, you see at the beginning of the movie when he was telling him about the bike and he's like, you didn't tell the guy when he gave you the bike back that it was this and yeah. the son had paid much more attention to the bike than the dad even did and the dad was really desperate to get it back so yeah i kind of understand that yeah you know i didn't answer laura's question i can understand why he would do that but i don't know if i necessarily would have so i wasn't really sure if the question was like uh, for my morals would i have done something like that and i don't think from my perspective i would be able to do that because I understood what it was like to feel that way when somebody took my bike and what I went through. So I don't know if I could do that knowing that I would do that to somebody else. Um, but from his perspective, I could understand why he would do that because he did go through all the channels to try to get his bike back. Mm -hmm. And at every turn, everybody failed him. Even the, and he had to do it himself with the help of his son, but you know, went to the police, you know, he even found the guy. And they were like, well, nobody, you don't have any proof. It's your word against these guys and they might retaliate against you. So that he was kind of at his wits end, like society just wasn't helpful for him and he wanted to take it into his own hands. And then they were gonna go back and punish him, but he was gonna get punished by the same people that were like him. So I don't think he ended up winning that. Right. I, I wanted to make a point really quick to Alicia's point of all the times the father failed him. The one scene to me that was the most the, the pinnacle of failure was after he was trying to buy the kid food to help to, 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 to soothe things and then just told the kid all his problems and yeah. just was poor, like 100%. Yeah. All the things you don't, kids should never be burdened with. And he said it all at that moment with this, like to this beautiful child who's just finally getting some sort of love from his dad. And I was just, that's where it all just fell apart. And you can't redeem yourself after something like that. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, that scene was really hard to watch. Uh, between the kid feeling so embarrassed that, you know, he's, I was wondering like, is this his first time in a restaurant? Or like, you know, it's gotta be at least like a handful of times in his life. And, you know, they're trying to watch this, he's watching this other kid to like figure out how to eat or what he should be eating and stuff. and 
then meanwhile his dad is like let's get drunk and orders a whole bottle of wine and (laughs) (laughs) then is telling him all of her their problems and stuff and it was just like no 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 um in terms of what you would have done in the situation I definitely would have taken the bike personally um I guess I kind of interpreted post-war Rome and maybe this is also just because I've read the um, Neapolitan novels that I was talking about earlier and it is very much like this kind of vibe of like dog eat dog like someone took your bike okay you got to get one somehow somewhere and you can't like be you know not that there wasn't like kindness like his friend who goes and helps him search and all of that but like the system is clearly against you and so you have to work outside of the system and it's like he doesn't have money to get a bike to get another bike he no one is helping him like no authorities or anything are helping him locate his bike he's done all he can I would have hopped on that bike and I would have pedaled a lot faster than he did like that was one (laughs) thing that kind of bothered me it's like he was he didn't seem like he was going that fast and the whole time when they would see the guy who he had taken the bike and or other people, he would just like walk behind them for so long. And I was just like, no, grab this person and interrogate them right now. Like, why aren't you just going for it? So I guess that was just part of his character of this more like slightly lackadaisical or calmer approach to things. Um, or inept. Or in, yeah, or just inept or something. But I assume in terms of the taking like the one bike that was off on its own versus one of the other ones, I guess I just assume that all the ones that were together were like locked up or being watched in some way. Because otherwise, why would hundreds of people just leave their bikes like you would come out of the soccer match and they would all be gone. Um, but that could just be me thinking about like how hundreds of bikes look locked up today. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, the one off somewhere by itself. Um, but yeah, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, Laura. I thought just like the whole time it was like, no, this isn't how you treat a child. And I know (laughs) that like life was a lot different 70 years ago. And I think I agree, like kids had to grow up fast in that era. Who knows everything? I don't, how old did they ever say how old he was? Six, seven. I don't think they did. Okay. He had a full-time job, though. I right. mean, he was yeah. at the gas station, and he yeah. was getting dressed for work just like his father was. Mm-hmm. So exactly. I just felt like he was on his father's level, and that's the way his father treated him. Right. Even though, yeah, you know, maybe he shouldn't have, but I felt like his father felt like he was more of an equal. And so whenever he would act out, he was kind of surprised that his son was, like, upset. Like, when he slapped him, he's like, why are you upset? Like, because he didn't feel like he was his child. He just felt like he was, like, on his level. So. Right. And I'd be curious, someone, like, a contemporary at the time watching it because I you know just in terms of like how we think of like an eight-year-old today whereas like yeah in this time it's like all right go you need your you need a job you need to support the family mm-hmm. um but yeah it was very devastating the, the scene where he's hesitating to take the bike at first I was interpreting that as like he was kind of planning to try to take the single bike and blend into the crowd as people came out but then that didn't kind of pay off, so I guess that's not what was happening, or he just like lost his nerve to do it. I don't. Did anyone else think that, or did I sort of like invent that? I think he was just hesitating because he was scared. Yes, okay. and I think that's where he failed. Honestly, right. mm-hmm. I think that's where all as an audience, like a spectator, I think we all think karmically he was owed a bike. Mm-hmm. He deserved it. Um, and on some level, 
I think I, I wanted him to get away with it. And I just, that hesitation made it almost impossible to get away with it. I didn't think it had anything to do with the, the crowd personally. Okay. Alicia? Um, I was interested that Mia mentioned that this man's character is kind of lackadaisical or hesitant or whatever. Like he is kind of like this, he's kind of like already defeated from the very beginning of the movie. Yeah, You know, you're catching him at like, hopefully one of the worst times of his life and not like at a time where things are like better or on par with, you know, what has normally been, although maybe that is the case. But um, I kind of looked at that as, looked at him as like a stand-in for just kind of Italy itself after the war, like mm -hmm. it's defeated. It's, um, it's looking, it doesn't know what its future is, what the future holds, where to turn to for like, it's kind of like, it was part of the like freer countries. If you're looking at like the US versus the USSR after World War II and like who kind of took over which parts of Europe, it was part of like the free so-called world, but it was like not doing great. Like it's government collapsed, it's economy collapsed. So I think that there was a lot of just uncertainty and on the part of probably a, a lot of the Italian people at the time, especially those that were like caught up in poverty anyway. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that too, Alicia, of just like, you know, it's funny because you think of Italy now and I think at least of like, oh, like, you know, this incredible history of art and culture and food and like this amazing country. But for so long, it was like really, really poor and just really devastated. Um, also, when you were talking, it reminded me of the very beginning of the film when he's like, I forget exactly what he's doing, but it's like just sitting in the field while all yeah, the other men yeah. are like, I need yeah. work, I need work. And they're like, you get the job. And his friend has to like go find him to mm -hmm. even right. get it. And mm -hmm. it's like, what are you thinking, dude? Like you should be your, you know, mm -hmm. seven-year-old son is right. out there, which it sounds like there were some issues with like uh, maybe a strict like union or some other kind of like job division system where like, oh no, you can't do that because you're this kind of person. You are a bricklayer, so you can't do this other job. Right. So like just mm. these strict rules around that that were preventing maybe the most like industrious or entrepreneurial people from getting the work. Um, but I just wanted to say something to what we were talking about earlier with the scene where they hold hands at the very end. I guess the way I interpreted that is, you know, to me, like, despite everything throughout this movie and all the ways that the dad just screws up and fails his son over and over again, I think I interpreted it as a, just a complicated father-son relationship where the son still loves him and still cares about him despite mm -hmm. all of these things. And, you know, I'm sure we've all had those moments in our lives where it's like you see your parents probably not as they want you to see them, um, whether they're like yelling at someone else on the road or, some, or something more <laughs> serious or something. But, you know, and it's like you but you still care about them. Of course, you still love them. You see them as the whole being. So that was my thoughts on it. And also just him like wanting to like comfort his dad in this really low, humiliating moment. Yeah. Yeah. So did anybody think that he didn't pedal away from the bike because he was conflicted about it? And that's why he wasn't like going full bore. That's what I was thinking. And that's why he got caught because he really kind of wanted to get caught because he knew he was doing something that would affect somebody else. 
I could see that. I don't. I think he was just inept and failed. I think the hesitation in the beginning is really where every, it all went wrong. And it just sort of, the fear kind of fell, just went with it. I don't know. I didn't notice him pedaling, especially slow as much as just not knowing what he was doing. Yeah, I, I kind of took this as movie logic where it's like the guy at the, at the start was pedaling as hard as he can and that's enough to get away. And here it's not because that's what needed to happen for the plot point. That's really what I just thought it was. I, I, there was never a moment where I was thinking like, he wants to get caught, you know? Maybe he mm-hmm. does though. I wasn't really thinking that I either. I was just more like, come on, dude, <laughs> like move your ass. Yeah, you, <laughs> but, yeah she was. Literally. <laughs> but also I wonder though, if maybe on some, I mean, I, I think there's an, at least an argument to be made for an interpretation of him being like, please put me in jail, feed me, like give me an escape from this constant yeah. like worrying. But he seemed mm-hmm. like he really loved his wife. And so I don't think yeah. he'd want to leave. And he had a kid too. at home. He yeah. just looked very anguished up until that scene. Like he didn't mm-hmm. want to do it, but he did want to do it. So that's what made me think of that just because of his, it, just his inner turmoil to me. So that's why I felt like he wasn't, he wasn't fully on board with what he was doing. He was sort of like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was When he was peddling. So. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. I was just saying like, that wasn't something that occurred to me in the moment of watching it. Um, yeah, it's it's an interesting idea for sure. A desperate man, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought to Mia's point about the union, I think it's a really interesting way the film deals with the rules of the union, which we all know is code for the mob, and how much that must have. I mean, you know, I forgot how, this union was in Italy. <laughs> but I'm well, sure I mean, the mafia was huge, and and yeah. that time and. It, there must have been so many different rules and I mean you could see it the way with the mob mentality of the entire film and how dangerous it was and how he was in the right but the entire neighborhood that knew the kid rallied around him and they all that's why I think the film has a plural in the name of thieves because they all helped him steal this bike this kid I know I think they know who this kid was you know so it was just um I don't know it was just something I thought of that, and the film doesn't go directly into it, but it's sort of um, underneath it Yeah. throughout. And thought about that. Alicia? See, I thought of the unions. I didn't think of a mob angle at all. And not to say that that's not in there. It's just, it just didn't occur to me, but um, I thought of the unions and the police station and the church as just like institutions that, have failed society and and so you could say like the first thief that stole his bicycle was a crime of opportunity and he had ill intentions or whatever the case may be we don't really know but that when he stole when he tried to steal the bike he had he was coming from like this place of desperation but really they're both coming from a place where institutions have failed them and they're stuck in this cycle that they can't get out of. Mm -hmm. And so they turn to these other means. Mm -hmm. It's both that I think the institutions are failing them, but are also just like not even interested in trying to be a solution. Like, and I I think that the pawn shop scene at the beginning is sort of like the start of us seeing that, even though a pawn shop isn't like, you you know, like an institution that's there to, to help everybody in the same way as like uh, a union is or something. But I, th- I think there's definitely a statement being made when 
you see this this woman selling her sheets to get money to get this bicycle. And what happens mm-hmm. to the sheets? They're not going out to somebody else to use them. They're just getting warehoused with like hundreds and hundreds of sets of sheets. Yeah, and it was amazing. It, it, that scene almost like reminded me of the end of like Raiders of the Lost Ark or something. It was just <laughs> like, this stuff is just going to sit there and no one's going to use it. And it's just such a waste. Like this stuff could be out with people who need it instead of just sitting on a shelf. And same for the bikes too, you know? Okay. Yeah, I have like eight points. So just working backwards. So yeah, I was actually confused because I was like, okay, if they have so many sheets here, how is this pawn shop in business? Like who is bankrolling this? Like, isn't the whole thing that like people come and buy stuff and that's yeah. So question number one right there. Mm-hmm. Um, also, in terms of the mob, I I wasn't thinking about that with the jobs. But I did wonder a few times with the film, like his friend who helps them look for the bike I was like is he because like first of all sanitation so (laughs) and second of all just like you know he goes to him he seems like okay you're like this big guy in the neighborhood um or in their block or whatever so I wondered that and then in the scene later on when they're basically getting when he and his son are basically getting chased out of that other neighborhood there's a couple guys in the crowd who are talking to him who are like really well dressed and stuff. And so I also just kind of figured like, oh, this must be like this neighborhood's mob mafia honcho or whatever. Or maybe not like head honcho, but you know what I mean? His captain or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, too, that I thought was interesting just in terms of like idiot Italy coming out of a fascist period and being in this post-war time is there's when he goes to his friend to help him find the bike, he sits in on a, like a community meeting or something for a few minutes and they're talking about we don't just need jobs we need a big public's work mm-hmm. public works program which is like obviously yep. like the <laughs> like <laughs> this super like anti-fascist like okay we need like socialism essentially here so um, i thought that was interesting too just with like the politics of the time it actually reminded me i mean i thought i draw i drew some parallels just to what we're kind of going through in this country right now with the mm-hmm. pandemic and the last four years of uh, Trumpism or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like, I feel like there's, there's, we're kind of have experiencing like a little bit of a crime wave right now. I don't know if that's nationwide or just like in New York or what, but I feel like we're seeing like gun violence and stuff like more and more often. And we're seeing, and we're hearing about people lining up for food banks and that kind of thing. And, and, and I drew the parallel just because I was like, well, people hit their breaking point under things, under circumstances like this. And however you want to look at it, whether they, whether institutions failed you by keeping things locked down for too long or by not keeping them locked down enough, it gets to the point where it, it pits people against each other. And the way that we're trying to work ourselves out of it is through a massive public works program. Yeah. Infrastructure <laughs> week. Trying to push yeah, through. I know, I was thinking yeah. infrastructure week. <laughs> infrastructure decade. I was thinking similarly, Alicia, like, oh, wow, this there's definitely parallels with today. Um, yesterday in Austin, there was an election on a bunch of ballot initiatives, a bunch of propositions. Um, and the one that was like the big hot topic basic, passed, unfortunately, and it basically... Uh, prohibits camping in the parks in the city and Mm -hmm. in many areas of the city even prohibits like sitting or lying down and Austin has a huge huge unhoused population I don't know how many people it is but in 
2018 or 2019, they repealed the camping ban. And it's like you literally, I mean, you go to any park and you see tents, you go under the overpasses, you see them. It's really bad. But the idea was like, let's make this more visible so people are hopefully motivated to do something about it. But instead, it went this other way. And so just as we were watching the movie, we didn't, they hadn't called it yet when we were watching it, but we found out right afterwards and just thinking about like desperation, poverty, people pushed to these lengths, they're going to do what they need to do. Um, I'm not saying that like, oh, now we're going to have this crime wave, but just like, you know, right now people need to be getting services, not being Mm -hmm. banned from things, obviously. So, yeah. yeah. What what I would have to say is a parallel to um, what I've noticed. I mean, I think the socioeconomic political stuff makes a lot of sense, but as a third generation Italian, I think that there's a lot of the ways um, family and uh, the communication, the easy violence, things like that, that is all very relevant. And that's just how a lot of Italian Americans and Italians communicate with each other. It doesn't have to be after a war or just, mm-hmm. um, it's just, it's just part of the culture. Do we want to talk more broadly about the Italian neorealist movement or any of that sort of thing? Um, I think it's such an important thing to talk about. I am not that schooled on it. They were trying to show like a more realistic version of what was going on in the country at the time, as opposed to like what we've kind of mentioned, like the glossy, like Roman holiday types of movies that came out. I guess those came out a little bit later, but. It's just sort of these films then fell out of favor, you know, and especially with our next film, I think Mm -hmm. um, Antonioni and it's just that, it's it's a it's a new it's sort of the second kind of a different a reaction to the new realism that mm-hmm. is an interesting timing that we're going to see those in succession. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. How we're watching that one after this one. I w- I'm not sure that I would say that they fell out of favor so much as they morphed into different things. I think, including in some ways, what Antonioni was doing. Um, I think people picked up different elements and ran with them in different ways. And I think it spread around the world and inspired other realist movements in other countries. I was kind of thinking of it from this perspective too, of the movies we've watched for the podcast so far. To my mind, I think this is the one that you can most clearly point to as like this directly influenced so much that came after it because, it, or, or not this movie necessarily on its own, but as the part of the movement that it is a part of, um, that that movement changed the way so many people make movies. Like they, they weren't the first ones to necessarily go out in the street and shoot outside of a studio, but people looked at what they were doing in the way they were doing it and emulated it around the world and through the decades. And it's still something you can see very clearly in different film industries around the world today. Like even here, like Florida project or something like it's such a, a clear line from neorealist cinema to something like that. Um, or even like early Jim Jarmusch films, I think, where it's just like, we're just going to watch people be, you know, um, not necessarily the same social implications there, but that's kind of what I'm getting at with like it. People picked up certain parts of it and ran with it. I think that that's an incredible point And I don't disagree with your thesis, but I think that yes, it, I disagree that yes, these did fall out of favor on some level. People wanted more hope. Mm-hmm. 
in their films. Mm -hmm. And um, sure. so that's that's my one point there. Yeah, I guess I was thinking more of like the style of filmmaking didn't fall out of right. favor. No, like that no, I see. Uh, perpetuated and just grew in some ways. But yeah, I think you're, you might be right about like, especially with what you're talking about with Antonioni and other Italian films, especially like Fellini, where it's like there's right. a joy throughout the films that I would not say is there in Ant the Antonioni no. films I've seen. <laughs> Those are pretty bleak. Um, but Fellini and other filmmakers with their surrealist mm -hmm. bent and like bringing this this fun element to it. And then spaghetti Westerns, even like Italian cinema went in these fun, more fun, entertaining directions after this, um, that I still think kind of grew out of what was happening here. But I think it also led to just like what art house cinema is today, like with Jarmusch and other filmmakers where I don't think you get indie films of the eighties and nineties without like neorealists kind of proving the concept in advance of them you know because like before yeah. that you still sort of had to be at least connected to a studio in some way to really get something made and distributed and this I, I think did so much to change that game agreed yeah it seems like a very experimental style of filmmaking I mean correct me I, I don't I don't know that much about it but like yeah using untrained actors and shooting in these spaces yeah yeah the locations that are kind of just mm -hmm. as you come across them um so uh, yeah i would agree with that too and i wonder if we wouldn't even have some reality television nowadays <laughs> <True>. <laughs> yeah. this is why we have the kardashians right. yeah There's maybe because of, that, because of but... the bicycle thieves yeah, yeah. <laughs> greatest movie of all time read. i would love to read that it's a straight line. Yeah. <laughs> but I think part of it was due to necessity, too. Like, I I don't think the mm -hmm. studios were in great shape, like physically, to go shoot yeah. in after the war. Because, you know, they suffered a lot during during the war. Um, so I think, like, Chinichetta had to be sort of basically rebuilt um, in the years after the war. Like, I'm not saying it was, like, completely dysfunctional or anything, but it... it, it it did reopen later in a bigger way. So like, I just wonder how much people needed to go shoot in the streets because they couldn't shoot in the studio, even if they wanted to. Well, I don't know for how long, but at least immediately after the war, it was a refugee camp. Was so, it? Oh, yeah. Okay. So I think at oh, least wow. for some time, they literally couldn't use it. And I don't know if that, I assume, that I, it was just like a sentence I read somewhere. I didn't go super deep on this, but I assumed it was people in Italy whose towns, villages, homes had been destroyed and were relocated there. Mm. Mm. Do we want to talk about our favorite moments, scenes, or other elements of the film? I just love that kid. He was so incredible. I'm going to second that. That was what I was going to say pretty much. That kid is great. I'll go ahead and change my answer just to be different, though. Uh, I think the dad deserves a little more credit than he's been getting. Uh in this, like, I think that performance is so good. Like, you just see every worry mm -hmm. and tense moment on his face in such a remarkable way. I think I think it's a great performance. My favorite scene was actually when they were in the restaurant. Um, and they were just, that was kind of a moment of levity and that you could see that he was just trying to, like, do right by his son at least this once, even though it degenerated into what it was with them getting drunk and him saying like, I, you know, being really down on himself. But it was just kind of like a nice, a nice kind of break in what he was doing, saying like, well, if I'm gonna, what is it, if I kill myself anyway with worrying, I might as well be dead anyway. So, you know, <laughs> just live for the moment for now. You know, you're with your son, you know, you're spending time with him. 
it's it's a good moment for you. So that was my favorite. I also really like the restaurant scene, but um, since Steven said it, um, I really <laughs> liked the mom. I thought like she was just really great. I wish she'd been in more of the movie, but just the scene she was in, I thought she was incredible. Does anyone know? Because I know the dad and the son were untrained actors. Was she also? She know. couldn't have been with that hair. Right? I know. <laughs> Her hair was great. I, I do want to say that almost every other person in the film, I was like, well, that looks like my cousin Christina, or that looks like my cousin Brent. You know, I just really, I actually annoyed the person I was watching the film with um, by saying it too much. But yeah, she didn't, I don't think she was trained, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I liked the restaurant scene too. I, I was I was really having a hard time deciding on what my like favorite scene or sequence is. I think because it's just so, it's just so like heartbreaking the whole way through that it's really hard. But it's also so beautifully shot the whole way through that it's hard to choose a favorite from that too. I think I just, I think something about the restaurant scene for me is that always when, when people sit down and I feel it just like in my own life, when people sit down to like, eat together and drink together like something cracks open between you and you can have these like real conversations so although of course he shouldn't have been putting all that on his child it was nice to like have a rest from the from the constant like search that was ongoing and and to just sort of let it see him let his open up his thoughts so we I mean I liked that I I was also just gonna say too um at the beginning before the bike gets stolen when he and his wife are just like biking around and he's telling oh I'm gonna get Mm. this money and they have a fee and it's like this moment of optimism that you you know something's gonna happen (laughs) so it's so Mm. short-lived but you know they just seemed like it's like for this you know day their concerns about their family are lifted they see a way out of their poverty um and I just thought that was like really beautiful and happy and just, you know, them being in love and riding on a bike together. I'm also going to just go ahead and call out the, the uh, last scene again, because I, I, that it really hits me when they're walking away after he's been let off the hook for stealing the bike. And again, that's like the moment where I realize how much the movie has sort of hit me hard. I love how it's just all about a fucking bike. <laughs> and it's not like they didn't have to go into space. They didn't have to like mm-hmm. chase someone around the world. The The tension and the stakes around this bike were so high and you just feel it like in your gut by the end of the movie. And I think it's just so impressive that it's just this small little story that feels so big. And I, that's where I feel it the most is right in that last moment. Well, the whole movie, it's just like everybody who had bikes, you just were like stabbed a little bit every time you saw Mm -hmm. how much, you know, (laughs) the bike means Mm -hmm. to everybody. And when I lived in Italy, like everybody in every walk of life was riding bikes, even if you were in like a three piece suit or you were going to the office and you were in heels, you'd see people on bikes. Mm -hmm. So I just felt like it's such an integral part of their lives that when it's gone, you just notice and it's just heartbreaking. It's awful. Right. I liked too about that final scene that before it ends, it they kind of blend in with the crowd. I liked that because it kind yeah. of it hit home for me that like this is just one small story amongst all these people that are going through who knows what everyone's life has like these big stakes for them. But yeah, it could just be about something as small as a bicycle, but it's huge in their lives. So I liked that too. So I, I feel like we've 
largely been answering this question, but has the movie, as far as you're concerned, stood the test of time? And do you think it still resonates today? I think it does. Um, I think we've kind of been talking about that. And it also makes you think that like the simple stories are the best ones, as long as you have, you know, really compelling characters in an atmosphere where, you know, the atmosphere itself is the story as well. And you kind of go on a journey with somebody over something. And it kind of in a funny way made me think of Pee Wee's Big Adventure because that was another story about a bike. <laughs> yep. And and that was as simple as him trying to get it back. And yet it became like this huge kind of movie. I know it's a kind of weird comparison, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that complicated um, for it to resonate with people. And everybody's dealt with loss like that before. So I feel like it really did stand the test of time with that. According to Wikipedia, this was a big influence on Wee's big adventure. So, you know, oh. not so crazy, Stephen. <laughs> okay, I need to start reading the Wikipedia page before I Yeah, that's, that's how you <laughs> find out all these like random one sentence facts about maybe facts about things. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it stood the test of time. I think it's like such a classic story. You know, they could, I hope they don't, but you know, this movie could be updated tomorrow about, you know, oh my God, my computer got stolen or, you know, something like that and like how your whole world hinges i think they have updated it yeah it's been yeah. remade yeah anyways i i think it totally still resonates i think it's just an amazing classic film that obviously is just really important for the influence it had as the style and the concept of the movie too beyond just like the actual story but i also think the story is timeless i think it's just incredible i totally i don't know if i would say it's like the greatest movie ever made but i totally get why they did consider it that in one of these polls so two thumbs up to me it's just not a question like a, right. it's just you know <laughs> yeah. so i don't want to waste you know yeah i feel like I, we're wasting time. our listeners time right now yeah i'm sorry <laughs> like not 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 that i mean that in any weird yep shut up I agree. Of course, it stands up. And then, and I also just wanted to say that I also did love the performance of the Antonio, I guess mm -hmm. is the main character. Yeah, like for being an untrained actor, like so amazing. His face was so expressive. Mm -hmm. I couldn't Definitely. believe it. <laughs> like, I was mm -hmm. like, forgot how great this guy was. And he didn't get much work after this. Oh, had a really difficult that. life after this. Mm. So. Mm -hmm. Anyway, just want to shout out to him. Another shout out to him. Right. So what's the definition <laughs> of untrained? Does it mean like you've never acted before at all? He had never acted before. Oh, okay. Like he had no. Mm. Yeah. He was like from a factory. Like they, he saw the, I think the director saw him like working in a factory and mm. hired him. And the kid mm. got the job just from hanging out until he annoyed people enough that they put him in the movie. That's <laughs> fucking great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think that element, the, the non-professional actor thing was they were doing that as sort of like a statement of in some ways of of uh being against like the star system that had been there before especially because all those stars were were in you know the fascist film industry that they were overturning with with this movement and you know they they thought it made more sense to use real people to try to tell stories about real people but i know i'm not sure if there's a, a strict definition i think in this case yeah, these these people hadn't acted before, but in other cases, maybe they were like people who'd done some acting, but not in a movie or, you know, weren't like formally trained or hadn't been big stars or something like that. And they did bring some stars back. I, I was watching this uh, special feature about the film where, where this guy who's an expert on 
Italian neo neorealism talked about how like other filmmakers would bring in big stars of the previous era and put them in these uh, roles against type as sort of like a stunt casting thing is how I took it at least to just sort of like overturn people's expectations about what that character was going to be and, and to sort of invest something in them because people would recognize this actor and be like, Oh, this must be important or something. I did think the, the man who played the father did an amazing job and sort of like a John Cazale way, like mm -hmm. um, just, just the, the failure and the, the patheticness like was just evident on his face and it was just it was incredible it's just was so palpable that it was hard yeah and obviously um upsetting to me <laughs> <laughs> i think it'll be interesting when we watch grapes of wrath uh whenever i don't think we picked that yet yeah yeah right. but i it just thinking about it now like this kind of reminded me a lot of that movie in a way so um hmm. yeah should we go to your bonus i picked our bonus question this time around uh so i'll just go ahead and ask it since <laughs> we're discussing bicycle thieves what's one of your favorite portrayals of a parent going to great lengths for their kid or kids and steven do you want to start us off my movie was taken that was in 2008 <laughs> <laughs> that was Starring, uh, what's that guy's name? I'm drawing a blank. Liam Neeson. Liam, Liam Neeson. Neeson. Yeah, because, you know, look at what he did to get his daughter back from being in white slavery. You know, he, he you know, took out all of these guys. And, you know, he had that famous quote about, you know, having the special skills and that he was going to find them, kill them. So, I mean, who wouldn't want a dad like that? Who's going to go? Do you know the quote? Because if <laughs> so you do know it, I'd about love to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> I can read it. I don't know it by heart. I don't know anything, it by but, heart. Yeah, but I can, I can say it. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you want. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have is a very particular set of skills, skills that I have acquired over a very long career, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. If you let my daughter go, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> Damn. I like the leaning into the mic for that. Thanks. <laughs> that was good. No, I wanted that. Thank you, Stephen. Um, Alicia, how about you? Uh, you know, I, I by the time I saw the question, so many great answers had been posted on the Facebook group that I was kind of like, God, I couldn't even think of anything else. You had a good one, though. <laughs> well, yeah, that's why I posted what I posted was because I was like, all the good ones are taken. Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> he does a lot for, you know, to try to be around his kids in that movie. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and then the other one that I mentioned was Raising Arizona, which is another, I just love that movie. It's so funny and it's like such a fun ride. And, you know, he's just trying to keep his family together, his family unit together. <laughs> Even though he does it, he does it all the wrong ways. Um, but it's just a great fun movie. Yeah. And Laura. Terms of endearment they have a complicated relationship throughout the whole film. So it's not very black and white where he's, she, you know, she, Shirley MacLaine's character, Aurora's, you know, saving her from a kidnapping or anything like at all like that. They're barely on some level like each other, on, but they have this incredible bond and the, the part when she is dying and 
she's in pain for a few minutes and what Shirley MacLaine does. And it's just an iconic scene and I'll never forget it. And it's kind of that everyday hero where you're just like, no, fuck you. Like give my daughter the shot. You know, those are the, those little things like that are what's what came to mind. I love that movie. (laughs) Yeah. It's pretty great. And Mia? Uh, So one I thought of after I had posted in the Facebook page was finding Nemo. And because, you know, yeah, I was like, yeah. okay, we're being really serious with a lot of these answers here. And I was stuff. surprised no one had posted that, honestly. Yeah, I, I almost posted it again later, but then I was like, no, nah, I'm going to save it for the show. Um, yeah, Finding Nemo, so cute, so good. So just going to the literal ends of the ocean to find your son who didn't listen and touched the butt and got scooped up. So, yeah. Albert Brooks. Yeah. Did you have another one? In the Facebook group, I said, now you're going to make me say this again. Uh, Quo Vadis Aida. I don't know why. Quo. I want to say Qua. Quo Vadis Aida. Yeah. So fucking sad. And yeah. See it. What did did we watch it on? Uh, It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Right. So it's about Sabrinica. And it follows this woman who is from the town. And this is during the Bosnian War. And she's a UN translator. It's as the shit is hitting the fan. And uh, she's trying to make sure that her husband and her two sons uh, are taken care of. Uh, and she she's like, that's her focus. That's what the movie's yeah. about. It's, uh, she's protected as a UN staffer. But the UN is basically turned over, moving the residents of the town over to the Serbs, right? Yeah, to the hostels. Yeah, to to the bad guys, basically. And Mm -hmm. so she's like, I don't think they're going to actually take them to where they're supposed to. And the UN's basically like, I don't know, man, like whatever. And so she's trying to get her family out of there. And they're like putting people on buses and separating the women and children from the men, which like never a good sign and stuff. And it's just like so devastating of her trying like every single which way. And yeah, highly recommend grab some tissues though, cause mm. it's painful. And it's like, this just happened in 1995. Like yeah. this is yeah. not ancient history, you know? I remember. Yeah. Mm. So anyways, it's just sad. Yeah. But it's a, it's a very good movie despite it being, devastatingly sad yeah watch um, that then watch finding nemo and yeah. <laughs> palette cleanser there yeah some balance so so the first answer i had for this question was unforgiven because uh, this guy goes back to the life he doesn't want to go back to to uh you know get some scratch together to, to, so his kids will be able to live um basically because he's failed at the life he's trying to give them uh but then after i saw alicia's answer about uh mrs doubtfire i was like oh i i was thinking of like what good things had people done and i hadn't really thought about like what creepy weird bad things <laughs> had people done in movies and so that kind of took me towards the path of a second answer the royal tenenbaums which you could argue ends up coming out right in the end but like he goes in with all the wrong intentions and and wrong uh motives and all that um mm-hmm. but we also had a lot of Really great answers from our Facebook group. So I'll share those real quick. Um, Charlie had a few. He said, in the name of the father, which I think is a great answer. I mean, it's yeah. almost there in the title. Um, Troop Beverly Hills, which I, I like that as a pick. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that, but it totally fits. Um, and The Birdcage. I liked that a lot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Birdcage is a great answer. Yeah. So good. 
And then Amy said House of Sand and Fog, which, yeah, uh, I don't remember that movie very well, but I remember it being like another like devastating film about <laughs> parents and children. Um, <laughs> and sure. Sid said The Road, which is based on uh, the McCarthy uh, book. Yeah. And I've, I've never seen it, but Me I mean, uh, knowing the premise of it, I get it. Um, has, has anyone here seen The Road? I read the book, but I don't remember it. I could not hang with the book. It was just too bleak for me. I had to. I, I bought it. Was like super excited to read it, and then it was just like I can't do this. I think it was like at a time where other shit was happening in the world, and it was just like this is too dark. I can't do it. I get it. Yeah, um, I've never been able to finish it either. Yeah. And then Michelle had a, what I thought was a great answer, maybe a little outside of the box, which I love because it's a surrogate parent. Yeah. Um, aliens. Yeah. And oh, th yeah. this kind of made me realize how, and people were doing this in the Facebook group, and we kind of did it here, especially Steven. So many of these movies with these parents doing these things for their kids come with great quotes. And I don't think it gets better than get away from her, you bitch. But then that <laughs> quote is taken and used in a Harry Potter movie. Is it? In a similar well, instance. They say bitch? Yeah. Well, get away from my daughter, you bitch. Yeah, where, really? Uh, something like that. Mrs. Yeah. Um, Weasley is protecting oh, yeah. her kid mm -hmm. from um, wow. the strange. Bellatrix. Bell Bellatrix yeah. is strange. Yeah. And so it's just so funny how things get mutated. And, and <laughs> it's awesome, actually. Yeah. It's in the book, too, like that line in the Harry Potter book. She says, stay away from my daughter, you bitch, or not my daughter, you bitch, or something right. like that. But even when I read the book, I was like... <gasps> Mrs. Weasley. <laughs> right? Because it doesn't, it's more, it's more Ripley than you. Yeah. You know, yeah. It didn't mm. quite fit. That's got to be inspired by Ripley, right? I think so. Of course it has okay. to be. Okay. I think so. I mean, I, I, I haven't read the book or seen that movie, so I wouldn't know for sure. But I was also surprised that no one took this in the direction of like mommy dead and dearest kind of things. I figured at least like one person would do that kind or of like thing. the others or something. Yeah, something. Mm. Um, but you know, too maybe next time. I also inspired by this. I had I made Jeremiah sit through this conversation with me about favorite portrayals of pets going to extreme lengths like homeward bound uh -huh. and stuff like that so just food for thought for a future question if we watch any if i don't know if any of these movies, but what is like, there stop. besides homeward bound uh the entire benji oh. um canon what was, that dog, what was that dog reincarnation movie that yeah, came that out a dog's, a dog's purpose a dog's journey yeah. or dog's a dog's purpose. Purpose. Yes, something like that yeah, yeah there's that. a whole genre i miss it oh, there's also there's, there's like lot. homeward bound and then there's the on, incredible journey the incredible journey yes like the lesser one yeah. um wow. and then there's just like animals in real life that travel mm -hmm. hundreds and thousands of miles to be reunited with their people I'll, I'll dig up some more for you, Laura. But yeah, you're you're so adorable right now. Um, <laughs> animals, you really are. So, um, <laughs> our next episode is Alicia's second pick. Alicia, do you want to remind us what that will be? Sure, it's La Ventura by Antonioni, and I really don't know very much about it, but it looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well. For, for our listeners, that was released in 1960, and it is available to watch, as of now anyway, on HBO Max, Criterion Channel, or Canopy with a subscription. You can also rent it on Amazon or Vudu, but it looks like that's it. 
Um, or, you know, go buy a Blu-ray or something if that's your thing. <laughs> um, so that's it for this episode of the Stereoactive Movie Club. We invite you to join us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Stereoactive Movie Club. You can also email us at stereoactivemovieclub at gmail.com. Or you can send us a voice message on our show page at anchor.fm slash Stereoactive Movie Club. And thank you, everyone, for listening. This podcast is produced by Stereoactive Media. Stereoactive Media.